The current series that we're working on this year is Worthy Worship. Our theme for the year is Walking Worthy of Our Calling. So we've looked at a number of different areas of our life that we can walk more worthy in, and uh, this series is on our worship time together. Psalm 29 begins with our kind of theme verse, Ascribe to the Lord. O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Of course, we do that in all of our life. All of life is worship, the Bible says. But the Bible also speaks of this time, this assembly, this worship time when saints come together. And that's what we're talking about in this series, is our time together when we, uh, we want to make that more worthy if we can. We called our first lesson, Ascribed to the Lord, and came directly from that verse. Our subtitle was, It's About Him. And that's what I wanted you to remember. The worship's not about us. It's about Him. He's the one that seeks worshipers. He says He inhabits worship. He's worthy of worship. It's not about what we like. It's not about what we want to do, what makes us feel good. The worship time is about Him. Then our second uh, sermon was Discern the Body, subtitled, It's About Them. Um, in, in this one, our concept was that worthy worship or worship is not a solo act. It's not all about us again, but when we come together, not only is it about Him, but we consider others. We recognize that the family is with us. We recognize that the body is gathered. We are to encourage each other. We don't distract from each other by demanding what we want. Uh, we, it's about them, too, when we come together. Today, we come to one with a, an awful title that says, I hate your worship. Uh, it would be bad if it wasn't a quote from Jehovah God himself, but that makes it even worse. Uh, it's subtitled, It Is Not Right. And I realized when I was thinking about this that there's folks listening to this on CD and I don't know how I spelled that. Right is spelled R-I-T-E here uh, because a rite is a religious act. It's a ceremony. It's something that's usually standardized, something that's kind of repetitive. You do it over and over and maybe you do it over and over with out thinking about it. So for our purposes today, I chose this word, a little play on words. Your, your worship is not right. Uh, more properly, I could have said it's not just right. It is a right. It is a ceremony, and we understand all that. But if that's all it is, if we go into it without any thought, if it's just memorized and we repeat it over and over again, um, then he hates our worship. So that's where we are today. Let me tell you two stories, and then we'll get busy with understanding why he hates worship, our worship, perhaps. Uh, most everyone here knows the story of Cain and Abel. I don't need to tell it in detail. You know it. The first two brothers, uh, both were farmers. One raised crops. One raised livestock. Uh, they both went to worship God. We have no idea what the rules were. The Bible doesn't tell us what God had told them, what he had asked for, what he had described, if anything. It just says they went to worship God. And one took what he had raised, the crops, and one took what he had raised, a lamb, and they sacrificed. 
I'm sure it looked okay. I mean, they went at the same time. They probably went pretty much the same place. I'm sure their efforts looked pretty much the same or similar anyway. In God's eyes, however, Abel was told that his was accepted, and Cain was told that his was rejected. Now, we don't know why. I mean, I know some people guess. Some people say, well, lambs were what were for sacrifice. Well, grain was sacrificed also later. Uh, Grain and animals were acceptable sacrifice later under the law of Moses. So we don't really know why. All we know is that when God told them this, Abel, I accept your sacrifice. Cain, I reject your sacrifice. When he told them that, it made Cain mad enough that he killed his brother. And in that, we start to get some clues, perhaps. Uh, Reading the story in Genesis chapter 4, it's pretty obvious that Cain had a heart problem. Uh, We don't know why God rejected his sacrifice, but this is probably related to it. In 4 verse 5, when he was confronted, he was angry. says he was very angry to God. In verse 7, it says he wouldn't admit that he was wrong. God got in to talk to him a little bit about that. Verse 8, he was deceitful. He was hypocritical. He said to his brother, he said, let's go out to the field. That's something I've got to talk to you about. Verse 9, he wouldn't confess his sin. God came to him after he killed Abel. He said, where's Abel? He said, I don't know. Am I supposed to watch out for him? I didn't know that. Verse 13, when God told him the punishment, he criticized God's punishment. He said, that's too much. That's the wrong punishment for this. Verse 14, he criticized God himself. He said, God, you're driving me out of this. That's the wrong decision. You shouldn't do that. You are wrong. Cain had a heart problem. Story number two starts about 1400 B.C. Cain and Abel didn't have any rules for worship that we know of. About 1400 B.C., God told Moses, you write down all these rules for worship. And it was page after page after page, or stone after stone after stone, whatever he wrote them on. And most of them are in our book of Leviticus. And it's pretty hard reading to get through Leviticus. After reading Leviticus, some of you have done that recently. A lot of you read through the Bible every year. When you get through Leviticus, did you ever stop and think, could I keep all those rules? Could I maintain all that? I mean, here's a chart that somebody made up about the just the five different offerings. I know you can't read it or understand it, but he was trying to relate it to Christ and all that. But the point is there's five different offerings. There's burnt offerings. There's peace offerings, there's meal offerings, there's sin offerings and trespass offerings. That's just the kind of offerings that God laid down. And then on top of that, you've got to know when to do them. You've got to know who's the one that's supposed to do them. 
supposed to know how often you do them. What's acceptable in this offering? What, what kind of things can you bring? Now, that's just offerings. Then put on top of that all the feasts, all the special days, and you've got to know how long they last. Some of them lasted for weeks. You've got to know how long they last and what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to clean your house before this ceremony and what you're supposed to do at the ceremony. You read through Leviticus and add all that up and think about trying to keep that. You know, I thought we'd get in, get in the mail once a month a, a little calendar about this size. You know, and it tells us all about birthdays and anniversaries and stuff. And worship is just one time a week, Sunday. Doesn't even say it on the calendar. Can you imagine being an Israelite? How many pages of this you'd need every month? Let's see, what do we do on this day? Okay, this is the 15th of Nisan. We gotta, yeah, we're doing this feast, and next week is this day, and we've got to have this offering ready this time. And let's see, I can take this and this. That would be a task now, wouldn't it? Keeping up with all the rules and regulations that God has. Well, about 750 B.C., the Bible tells a story in Amos during the reign of Jeroboam II, and Israel was prosperous. Things were going well. Things were going good in the kingdom. And the Israelites were still following their checklist. They were doing it. Somebody kept track of it, and when they did that one, they checked it off. They were going to Jerusalem to do this. They were going here to do that. They were observing this. They were taking this animal. They were sacrificing that. They were having this feast. They were keeping the list fastidiously. And God's response was, I hate. I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I'll not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melodies of your harps, I will not listen. We know the problem. The Israelites had a heart problem. It wasn't the external stuff. They were doing all the external stuff in the right time, in the right place, just like he had told them to do. But they had a heart problem. Isaiah 29, 13 is in a different time, but it applies to this time. It applied to a lot of times in Israel's history. In fact, Jesus took this verse and said, that's what you people are like today, in his day. Isaiah twenty nine thirteen says, These people come near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's what he had Amos tell them. Can you imagine the shock of that? Can you imagine the shock among a people that was working so hard at doing everything they were supposed to do, when they were supposed to do, with their mouths and with their lips, and 
thinking that was what God wanted, evidently. How would we respond to such a heavenly assessment of our worship? I mean, it scares me to even think about it. Can you imagine if you, when you left this morning and you went out to, and I think he judges individually. I don't think he judges all at once. So maybe he'd put little scorecards under your windshield wiper out there when you get to your car. You got there and you picked it up and looked, and it said, rejected. Didn't like it. Don't want to listen to it. I hated it. I was like, get that scorecard. You thought you were worshiping, but I hated it. A couple of cars over, somebody picks theirs up and it says, accepted. I loved it. Scary thoughts, aren't they? So it's not about the first two stories. The important question is, what's our story? What's our story? When we come together to do what he's asked us to do, and we have a list, too. We went through it in the first lesson part of it. He, he accepts this. He expects this. Not a very long list. We don't need a big piece of paper for it. But he told us the things he accepts, and so we come together every week to do them. What's our story? Let's make sure we don't slip into heart problems. Let's make sure we don't slip into unworthy worship. So I picked four possibilities, things that can to look out for in unworthy worship. First one, A, when worship becomes just a right. That's why I use that title. When, when worship becomes just a ceremony. When it becomes like Isaiah twenty nine thirteen. This people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts aren't there. Their hearts are far from me. Externally, when Steve's looking at them, they look like they're worshiping, but their hearts are somewhere else. Now, Amos 4, it's kind of the ultimate. <laughs> you know, when God says, I hate your assemblies. I don't want to hear them anymore. That's kind, of, that's kind of as bad as it gets. But every time that we come together with, with no heart, no thinking about it, we just do it. When we go to church, we do it, we go home. If anytime that happens, it's just become a rite. It's just become a ceremony that we're getting through. Now, let me tell you two things about that before we go on. First one, I think that there are degrees within worship. Humans come and go. For a human to stay concentrated, focused for, 30, for half, an hour, hour and 15 minutes, that's hard. I understand that. Especially if things are going on in your life, heavy, bad things or, uh, you know, all kinds of things going on in our lives where, you know, I've come. 
when bad things have been going on the night before or the week before or whatever, and you do it. You sing the songs, you take the bread, you take the wine, you do it, but your heart's not there. You're not tuned in. It may be inside, all you've done for that whole hour is ask God why. Why did this happen this past week? And I understand that happens. But this point is when it just becomes a ritual every week. It's not about outside problems or anything else. It's just where you just come and do and go. Secondly, I think it's important to know, uh, no, we'll get to that in a minute. Secondly, I, I think, well, I know we grow in worship. We grow in our ability to do what we're talking about. And to the extent that we grow, if we don't worship up at that level, then we make it just a right. We know the basics of what we're supposed to do, but the more we, we learn about God, the more we know about Him, the better we ought to be at ascribing to Him the honor due His name. We, we should grow in that. Let me illustrate this way. Every one of my grandchildren has learned how to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And no applause necessary or anything. I know they're sharp kids. I chose that because everybody can relate to that. At some point certain age, kids learn the Pledge of Allegiance. That's a good thing. And they say it for their mom and dad and for their grandparents and for aunts and uncles, and it's a cool thing. They recite it. They don't mean it. Well, they mean it as well as they can mean it. But when they first learn it, they don't really understand republic and liberty and justice. They don't understand all that this flag represents. They really can't ascribe the honor due, if you get my point. Well, we grow in that. We should grow in that. About 30 years ago, I'll never forget the day, Cindy's grandfather was honored by the country of France. don't know why they waited so long, but they decided to present medals to all American soldiers who served in France in World War I. Okay. So they had a ceremony out at the VA. Uh, her grandfather, Mark Wilson, was born in 1899. So if you can do the math, you know he lied about his age to get into World War I. And they sent him to France. And he was a little guy, and he was fast. So they made him a runner. Now, back then they didn't have the communication systems we got today. So if the commander in this trench, and they fought trench warfare, the commander in this trench wanted the commander in that trench over there to know something, he'd send a runner. Okay. Now, you run to another trench with the enemy firing. At that point, you become faster, I think. So Mark was little and fast, and I imagine he got it across there pretty quick. Anyhow, he survived. Well, that's what he did in the war, and they had this great ceremony out at the Veterans Administration building. 
They had flags everywhere. I don't know where they got all those flags, but they had flags. It was a beautiful day. Now, at one point during the ceremony, we all said the Pledge of Allegiance. We stood up to say the Pledge of Allegiance. And Grandpa Wilson and the others on stage, there weren't very many of them, five or six maybe, still alive in this area, they stood up and they faced the flag. And one old gentleman whose face was disfigured by mustard gas. Face disfigured by mustard gas and with two steel hooks for hands. He stood and faced the flag and raised his right hook and said, I pledge allegiance. It was not a right. Well, not just a ritual. It was not a recitation like a grandchild. He said it with full meaning, with full understanding. As we grow in our knowledge of God, as we understand who He is, the more life we live, the more we see Him do amazing things. Past few weeks we've seen it over and over. The more we learn that, the less our worship should ever be just a right. B. Worship becomes self centered sometimes. We talked about that in the first sermon, Psalm twenty nine, ascribed to the Lord. We read this quote I put on your handout. When we believe that we should be satisfied, Rather than that God should be glorified, we put God below ourselves as though he has been made for us, not we for him. There's no greater blasphemy than using God as our servant, and there's no worse place to do it than the realm of worship, where we make the worship of God an end in ourselves rather than in God. We do that someday. It's about us. We started off that sermon talking about what I like in worship and what I want and all that. We've talked about this. The more we think that worship is about us, the more unworthy it is. So beware of that one. See, beware of sin. Now, listen to this psalm with me. David is dealing in this psalm at Psalm 51 about his sin with Bathsheba. The note before the psalm in my Bible says, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. All right, David's just found out, he just had it revealed that he was the man. He knew it, but his sin was brought out into the open here. And Psalm 51 is what he thought and what he wrote after that. And Psalm 51, verse 16, listen to this. Verse 16, David says, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And you go back and read the rest of the passage. You know what he's saying? 
He says, if just going to worship would fix it. Yeah, you know, just being there on the day and doing the right thing and singing along with everybody else and all that. If that would do it, I'd try that. But that's not what you're after. That's not what you want. He said, you want the right heart. So that's what the whole psalm is about. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then a little later he says, if just offering sacrifices would do it, I'd try that. But that's not what you want. You want my heart pure. You want it clean, and I want it clean. Other places, David says, search me, O God. See if there's anything in me that's not right. New Testament tells us we're supposed to examine ourselves as we worship. See, sin, well, we said in lesson one that God inhabits worship. Guess what then? If sin is in you when you worship, then sin inhibits worship. Because God and sin don't go well together. You've been having worship problems as we've gone through this series, and you're thinking, you know, I don't really feel like that. He's been talking, and it feels like my worship's not getting through, or he's not getting me, or, or something. You may have skipped Psalm 51. That's a step to worthy worship. If you come with sin all bottled up inside you and haven't asked him to cleanse you, haven't begged him to set you on the right path, haven't asked him to look for sin in you, worship's going to be a tough time. Now, someone may spot it in you, someone that's real close to you. They may sense you have a problem, but it may be invisible to everyone. Humans are good at covering up sin. You may think you got it all covered up. But nobody knows about it. The problem's still there. And if the problem's still there, then it affects your worship. Yeah. Most of you noticed the nice new parking lot out there when you came in. Looks like it's good for another 15, 20 years, doesn't it? I'll tell you a secret. I watched them do it. The whole parking lot, it's old. You know, and there's some crumbly spots in there. And they cut the worst ones out, and they put some new asphalt in, and they patched that up. But there's so many, and so many cracks and all that, that that was just too expensive right now. It wasn't the most economic thing to do. So they took some extra st sticky goop and put in the crack and put it over the bad asphalt. And after they got all that done, they blew all the dirt off the lot. They had big blowers and brooms. They blew all the dirt off. And then they went over it and they sprayed this black, oily sealer on top. And when they were done, it looked brand new. Then they painted the stripes on it and it looked even better. 
just driving by or driving on it, you think, man, this is a brand new lot. This is good. That's what he's saying is you can cover it up. You can cover it up where everybody else thinks it looks really good. But if it's still there, it's going to show up. Two years from now, those spots will start to pop out again. Well, sin in our life, it's going to show up when you come to worship. It may look good to everybody else, but you're going to have worship problems because it's unworthy. D, when worship is shallow, we better beware of unworthy worship. Uh, I believe that a lot, uh, maybe the majority of today's popular worship uh, is shallow. Now, I realize that's a sweeping generalization. I realize it's got a heavy dose of personal opinion in it, but I also think it's true. Uh, I don't go a lot of places, but I I see see different places and watch videos, and I kind of know what's going on pretty much. To grow into more worthy worship... We've got to grow in knowledge of God. And part of that comes from life experiences. Part of it comes from us studying our Bibles ourselves. But it heavily comes from preaching and singing and worshiping together. That's why this is so important, what we do each week. When preaching is shallow, when all you get is pop psychology and self-esteem, you're not going to grow very much. When, when singing, when the, the words and the songs are shallow, they don't teach anything. And sometimes they're drowned out by everything else going on. Some people call them 7-Eleven songs, some of our new songs, seven words repeated 11 times. And I don't have anything against Praise song, 7-Eleven kind of song. But I'm telling you, if that's all you get, you're not going to grow very much. You, you won't grow in knowledge of God. And the trick is, when you don't do that, your worship can't be as worthy. Now, some people say, well, we've got to do that to entertain. We've got to do that so the world will come. Well, see, there's a basic problem. The purpose of worship is for the people of God to assemble, to ascribe unto him the glory due his name. We're supposed to go out there and affect the world. When you change the worship so you'll please everybody else. Unworthy worship is right around the corner. Yet young people. If I may, a warning here from an old guy. If you pick a church, when you leave here, you get to pick a church. You go other places, all of that. If you pick a church because the worship is fun and it makes you feel good all the time, check, see if you're growing any. Check, see if you're growing in in the knowledge of God. It may not be growing very much. If you don't grow, your worship's going to become pretty shallow, pretty unworthy. We're supposed to ascribe to Him the glory, do His name. To do that, we've got to learn about Him, understand Him more and more. 
First Corinthians 14, the, the church, we already talked about them last week. The church in Corinth was doing a worship that made them feel good. They were having fun. They were showing off. They were using their spiritual gifts. They were, they were having a big time. And Paul wrote three chapters there to explain to them what they were doing wrong. And in 1415, he said, I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. He said, I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. There are some songs and there are some things that feel good to sing. But Paul says, my mind's going to be engaged too. So I'm going to be thinking about what's in that song. I'm going to be growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Now we're going to illustrate that with the two closing songs in just a moment. But let me illustrate shallow worship with this. I recognized this last Saturday was Halloween, and we were home for some reason. Well, I know why, because the Royals were playing. But anyhow, we were home, and I got settled in in the basement to watch the Royals game, and pretty soon she called me up, and she said, I've got a cook. I've got some things here to do in the kitchen. You're in charge of the trick-or-treaters. Now, I could either run up and down the stairs a whole lot of time, or I could watch on the little TV. So I watched on the little TV. As soon as I'd get set down, the phone, the, the doorbell would ring again, and up I'd go. So we did that for a while. But I had a great big basket, probably five pounds of various forms of sugar in there. And my goal was to get rid of all of this by the end of the night, but have enough to last to the end of the night. Now, that takes pretty savvy thinking, you know. So I started out, and I'd give each one one or two. And then when the right group had come along, you know, cute little kids, nice, polite, all that, I'd say, grab a handful. Yeah. And as the night went on, and I saw how the basket was going down, timing it just perfect, I'd say, grab a handful. I'd grab a couple handfuls. And I'll get another one there. Okay. When I'd do that, they'd say, wow, Really? Okay. Wow, that's cool. Okay. They ascribed to me the glory do my name. <laughs> you understand, not really, because they didn't know anything about me. All I knew was I was handing out gifts. I was giving lots of candy. Okay. So their knowledge of me was pretty shallow. So they really couldn't ascribe much to me. In fact, I got to thinking if they wrote a song about me, it might say, praise you, we praise you, we all praise you. We praise you daily. We praise you weekly. You give good candy, you give good gifts. We praise you, we praise you. See, you could sing that without knowing much about me. There's some songs like that. They're all right if you know what you're singing about. But I'm telling you, modern worship service to attract outsiders and sing those kind of songs so they feel good may be an exercise in something, but it's not worthy worship. Yeah, enough on that. We have established that it is about Him. Worthy worship is about them. 
It is not just to write. And we've only got one more point to add and we'll be done with our series. Next time is entitled, Then Sings My Soul. Worship is a response. The most important one in the series, and best I can tell, it's going to be the best one in the series. So we'll finish with that one in a couple of weeks. Next week is CR week, and then we'll do that on the 22nd. All right, now, we're going to apply some of what we talked about here in just a moment. We're going to sing two songs. Neither one of them is an invitation song, and that's okay. New Testament doesn't have invitation songs in it. It's a tradition. It's a good tradition, but all tradition is not truth. We've learned that already. So we're going to sing two songs that are not invitation songs. Now, if you've got some spiritual need this morning, uh, the elders are going to be up here during the second song, so feel free to come. But these two are as a lesson. The first one was written 500 years ago. It's an old, old, old song. Got big words in it we may not understand. Martin Luther wrote it. It's been translated in almost every language in the world. And it contains great truths, old truths, Bible truths. There's words in it. I'll tell you some of them so you'll be ready. It says bulwark. God is a bulwark, never failing. A bulwark is a wall that you build to keep the enemy out. Like old-time forts. Lord Sabaoth is in there. You may sing it Lord Sabbath because you don't know what it means, but Lord Sabaoth is a different word. It means the Lord of hosts. It means all the angelic armies, and it means Jesus is in charge of those. Lord Sabaoth is his name. That's who we're dealing with. Now, Luther wrote this because he felt he had to teach all these great truths. That's what old hymns do. That's what good hymns do is they teach truths. And the more we sing them as a family, the more we learn those truths. In that song, we ascribe to him all kinds of things. The second song is about 20 years old. And there's no teaching in it. Well, not any deep teaching. Uh, it's a good song, and I love to sing it, and I, we're going to sing it good this morning. But it's repetition, and it's pure praise. Okay. Now, but it's only praise if we know why God is awesome. The song is our thought God is an awesome God. If we sing that, you, you can sing that not knowing anything about God. And feel good, because it's a feel-good song. But it only works as a worthy worship if we know about the first song. If we know why he's such an awesome God, then we can sing that as worthy worship. An unbeliever doesn't know why God's awesome. It still feels good to sing. It may not be called worship. Both of them will help us worship this morning. But get the difference between them. Get the point. Get the response to the first one. Brother Brent, come. Let's sing uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I forget the name of it. Let's stand and sing that one and then the Awesome God.